Hello, 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 hello. Welcome back to Over the Bridge podcast. Myself, Tommy Dyer. Um, <laughs> God, I sound like I'm hosting a mixtape. <laughs> Myself. OTB season three. I don't know what episode, but mixtape. Um, no, uh, welcome, guys. Um, thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you for rejoining us. Um, to our listeners, if you're new, uh, welcome aboard. Um, yeah, myself, Tommy Dyer. In today, we have... Patrick P. Money. Just so everyone knows, his name's not actually Tommy Dyer before people start thinking that's your real name. It's not my... I'm, I'm Tom. That's my real name. But <laughs> I now go by Tommy Dyer. So we've got Patrick. Uh, Quirky. Yes. A.K.A. Slim Wednesday. A.K.A. El Choco. Mr. Mr. El Choco. El yeah, Choco. I like that. You El Choco. Like, I started to own that brand. Yeah. El, Choco. El Choco. I was calling you Black Willy Wonka, but El Choco is better. El Choco bro. is so much better. I like that. El Choco is wavy, man. Yeah, what's good, people? Yeah, we're good. We're good. How are you guys, man? Time, yeah, man. man. I think that's the consensus. Everyone's a bit... Yeah, a little bit like under, under the weather a little bit. Man. Work, but... life. The wind almost blew me over on the way here. Mm. Yeah, it's been mad. Bro. Like, yeah, hey. weather's just been sort of... Oh, left to right, left to right. It's been mad. Mm. Um, all things considered, you know? Yeah. I'm here, man. Doing Give God well. thanks and that. That's it, man. That's it. That's yeah. it. Um, but today, I think we're carrying on with the theme of uh, entrepreneurship. Uh, black entrepreneurship. Um, and we have another entrepreneur... Uh, in the building. Uh, Aji, if you'd like to introduce yourself, plug your ventures, plug what you're doing, plug what you're once doing. Um, mm. Yeah, I- I'll let you take it away and then we'll take it from there, bro. Cool. What's good, people? My name's Aji Ayorande. I am a social entrepreneur, um, founder and creative director of a clothing brand called MIA London. Jeez. Um, qualified lawyer. Hey, ex-corporate strong now um, legal consultant for startups and for creatives um, occasional speaker um, hey don't know, list goes a on a few things a few things <laughs> yeah yeah so <laughs> um, so I wanna I don't even know where to begin this so let's let's talk about um, let's actually talk about the kind of corporate route mm. first um how you got into like the legal profession and then we'll talk about the kind of branch away from corporate into um, kind of the more entrepreneurial space. I think we'll take it in that direction. So if you just give us a, a, a if you fill us in on the, the, the corporate side and then we'll take it from there. Yeah, sure. So for me, um, law was always something that I wanted to do. Um, I always had intentions of blending it in with other things as well. Mm. Um, but in a way, I'm kind of glad that those other things didn't really solidify until I was far enough in that I wasn't, I guess, creatively distracted, if that makes sense. Right. So, um, yeah, I went to Queen Mary University, studied straight law, um, was fortunate enough to have got my training contract offered by the end of my second year, um, having, you know, got no vacation schemes, no interviews or anything. So... Yeah, just like with really, really good guidance, I managed to turn around that prospect of not having anything um, mm. to getting, you know, several interviews from direct um, direct applications, which was quite good. Um, then got an offer from a firm called Norton Rose Fulbright. Um, finished my university degree, pretty much went straight into law school. Um, Norton Rose did this thing called the Accelerated LPC, so legal practice course, yep. um, which is essentially 
the same content as the 12 month law school professional qualification that you have to get if you want to be a solicitor, yeah. but condensed into six months. Oh, wow. okay. So the reason why they do that is they want to try and create this environment, um, them and the other firms that they do in conjunction with, so there's four other firms on the program, um, this kind of environment where you're working like nine to six as if you would be working in a law firm. Mm -hmm. yeah. Even though that's a lie because there's <laughs> way more than nine to six, more like six till nine. Um, or 9 to 6 a.m. But yeah, so <laughs> that's kind of like how they structure it and they make the course itself more focused on, um, you know, the more like business or corporate side of things. So you'll be doing, um, you'll be doing elective modules like debt finance, equity finance, mm -hmm. stuff that you will need to use in the city. So yeah, I did that. Um, then started my training contract pretty much straight away once that was done. Um, two-year training contracts, first six months, um, did litigation. Second six months, I was fortunate enough to um, go and secondment to Johannesburg. Mm. Worked in the office nice. there. Um, this will make sense in a second while I'm saying this one, focus <laughs> on in Johannesburg. But whilst I was out there, I think that's when things started to click. Mm. So... In terms of like a different path and... Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. So um, that's when I met a lot of people that were dreamers, but yeah. were also doing things at the same time. So a lot of people that were working in corporate and, um, you know, had ambitions of doing other things. And I think what really inspired me is that these people were not just dreamers, but they were practical dreamers. So they yeah. were people that were in an environment where they were able to dream and they're surrounded by people that encouraged them to take that first step mm -hmm. and make things happen. So meeting people who worked in law firms, but had launched apps at the same time or mm. uh, meeting people who worked in law firms, but would spend the weekend, you know, like fashion shows and yeah. things like that. And just seeing the way they were able to blend that corporate focus with other things yeah. kind of inspired me. And then um, I met a tailor. Well, like, Joburg. Whilst in Joburg, yeah. yeah. Well, actually technically in Cape Town. No, Durban. I met him in Durban. Yeah. Um, where I was at um, this like horse racing event. It's kind of like a Royal Ascot type thing. Okay. Um, so like very like bougie, um, went with a few friends from work. Like we drove all the way down there, six hour drive. Um, Durban is sick, you know, like a lot of people will focus on Joburg and Cape yeah. Town, but Durban Durban's is underrated. Yeah, yeah. Underrated. They have like, quite a big um, Asian population there, right? Yeah, yeah, they do. They do. I think a lot of the um, kind of like South Asians that moved across from like India and Sri Lanka and stuff, they came to Durban mm. yep. okay. and they um, kind of set their own communities. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so whilst I was there, um, one of my friends had this um, thing where wherever we went, like even if VIP was an option, he would make his personal challenge to try and talk his way into VIP. Really? <laughs> like it was his thing. Anyway, so he did this and he got us into this VIP section of this like horse racing thing, yeah? Yeah. And like we met the president of, of SA, we met Zuma. Really? Wow. Yeah, we met Zuma, yeah, it was mad. That's <laughs> mad, you know? Yeah. We met Zuma. So obviously it's like- Casually. We met, yeah, casually. Yeah, we met, met Zuma, Zuma ready, yeah. like casually. Like. Yeah, we met Zuma, we got a selfie with Zuma, which attracted a lot of attention. Right. Uh, then this tailor noticed, and anyway, so turned around, we we'll speak to this tailor, yeah. mentioned to him that I wanted to get a suit yeah. made for myself. Yeah. And I um, kind of 
specified that Hamo like designer stuff that I wanted to yeah. mm. um, wanted to him to bring to life and stuff. Mm. So he was from Joburg. So we said, okay, let's exchange details. Let's catch up when we're both back in Joburg. Went back to Joburg two days later, um, got in contact with this guy. We set up a fitting, got my suit made. I was so impressed by the quality that I was like, you know, I need to get myself more stuff. So then I got myself some more like tailored trousers, was getting like compliments and stuff at work about the fit. And I think at that point I realized, you know what, like, we've got something here. Like we need yeah. to do something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah. you know, I had these designs which he was, he just knew exactly what I wanted mm. um, to bring to life. And he also was the kind of person that was doing very well in his own kind of space and in his, in his own circles. Mm -hmm. For him to even be in that like VIP space. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So the way that we kind of approached it was, you know, if we make this a partnership, let's not make this from the same kind of angle that, I think sometimes is seen as the only way to work with people in Africa, which is you're kind of giving back. Yeah. Um, but instead take the approach of kind of providing this guy with a way to expand his clientele, mm -hmm. open himself up to new markets. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, we're working with someone who kind of gets it. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's how it started. Um, kind of pitched the idea to him before I left to come back to London yeah. to like, partner together, came back. And yeah, it's just expanded from there. So like now we work with um, like two or three tailors. Yeah. Um, the brand has expanded from just the tailor in focus. Mm -hmm. um, so the London part is our way of staying on top of contemporary trends. Yeah. Um, you know, staying tapped into that Western market. So like concept pieces like, you know, like, Bags, um, utility vests, mm. um, you know, belts. Yeah. We're working on a couple of pairs of sneakers at the moment. So, so that's it's like a, quite streetwear. Yeah, yeah. So I guess like the way in which we do it, yeah. Mm. So the tailoring is the focus and we do tailored formwear, tailored streetwear. Okay. Mm -hmm. yep. So our, our thing is about being able to speak to the whole spectrum of the diaspora. Yeah. yeah. It's not restricted to just the diaspora, mm -hmm. if yeah. that makes sense. So yeah, yeah. you could wear a blazer from us or for a suit from us to a wedding or to an occasion on a Thursday night. And then you can wear a pair of sweatpants and like an underground party for the after party, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So, but the common theme, the thing that ties everything together is the tailoring mm. because it's a better fit. Okay. Um, and because it kind of encourages people to, if you're going to invest in, you know, something that's tailored or something that's like a tailored fit, mm. you're going to be encouraged to, you know, kind of look after what you're getting and yeah, 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 it yeah, kind yeah. of feeds into the whole like anti-fast fashion thing that we're trying to- Right, that's what I was going to ask about that, actually. Okay, cool. Cool. So um, are all the pieces like made to order or is it like- The, the majority, yeah. Mm. So particularly on the tailor, tailoring side, mm. um, made to order. Um, we do a lot of kind of styling stuff as well. So we have um, like samples in the um, our PR showroom, which okay. is in West London. Cool. Um, so people like go down there they've got events and stuff and if their things fit then they might wear it yeah yeah um, we found that more um, more efficient than keeping right better things on stock yeah that yeah. makes sense yeah yeah so yeah that's that's kind of us but yeah going back to the corporate thing because mm -hmm. I know I've just got on no, that's cool job. man that's cool bro yes. um, yeah so then finished my training contract when I came back um, 
but I was kind of juggling the two. Mm. And I guess at that point, pretty much from then, um, I'd made the decision to give myself like a soft deadline to transition out of corporate. So I said, minimum one year, max three years qualified, Mm. depending on how things went. So for that whole period, um, law was my focus and MIA and stuff was my side hustle. Yeah. Then I got to a point where um, I came across an opportunity to kind of flip them around and make business and entrepreneurship my focus yep. and law my side hustle. Mm-hmm. So I started like uh, looking into ways in which I could like um, transition out in a structured way. Um, came across this brand new course at Cambridge Business School. Um, this master's in entrepreneurship program, which I, you know, was fortunate enough to get onto. Um, and yeah, since then, I've just been kind of um, focusing on the business. The only kind of corporate links that I do are either either through like diversity stuff or just kind of trying to continue to use that access and that social capital and those connections I have with the corporate world yeah. to get other people in. Right. Mm-hmm. That's, That's dope, sick. man. Yeah, yeah. That's it's a proper sick story. It's a cool story, yeah. yeah, like, yeah. I don't, do you mind if I kind yeah, of backtrack yeah, a little couple, bit? Yeah, because yeah, um, I don't know. Obviously, you want to expand and explore your entrepreneurial journey more. But mm. in regards to the corporate side of things, so I work with students um, from, I guess, what could be broadly termed as less advantaged backgrounds, but really just kind of um, lower income households, right? Mm. And um, we kind of support them into getting to you know, different corporate firms, law firms being one of them. And it was really interesting to hear how you kind of took a somewhat unconventional route into getting a um, training contract because a lot of the young people I do work with are really anxious about, okay, Mm. I need to get that first year program. I need to get the vacation scheme. I need to then flip that into the, do you know what I mean? So it's really interesting to hear how you kind of took a a different route. Do you want to expand a little bit on, on how you're able to finesse that? Yeah, yeah, sure. So I think I think it's important to give credit where credit's due. Um, so for me, my saving grace was this program called um, BLD Foundation. So BLD Foundation, they are an organization um, um, that basically focus on getting students from underrepresented backgrounds into the legal profession. So they do this, you know, like these... Um, like six month program that focuses around like networking skills, um, communication skills and negotiation skills, commercial awareness. Mm. And importantly as well, which is quite unusual for a lot of these schemes, um, but it's something that I'm currently actively working on changing. Um, They guarantee you work experience in these firms that they work with. So each of these students that get onto the process or get into the program, they go through like a rigorous process to get on in the first place. And once you're in any of their partner firms, so we're talking like firms like DAC Beechcraft, DLA Piper, um, White and Case. So quite big firms. Mm. You will then be able to, um, you know, have guaranteed work experience. And I think the great thing that's happened since then is that at the time that I went, it was just kind of just any old work experience. And it was still really, really useful, really helpful for me. But they've managed to get to a point now where they've got certain spots on the official vacation schemes okay. reserved for um, one or two of their students at these firms. 
So that was kind of like my saving grace, I guess. And that's why I'm kind of encouraged, or I was encouraged to, along with my um, co-partner and co-chair and co-founder, Raifa, to start the Law Collective, mm. which started off very, very informally, started off as a WhatsApp group um, following a dinner that we had. Then we kind of created like a mission statement. Um, the group just kind of grew and grew and grew. Um, we rebranded as an organization. We also thought it was an opportunity to move away from just the temptation to make everything BAME focused. Because we we were we were black students and black lawyers, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. I feel like for a while, we just felt like it was safe to say BAME just because we felt like- As in black? Black and minority. Ethnic. Black, yeah, yeah, ethnic. Because mm-hmm. we felt that that's the only thing that would work. But then one thing we noticed by looking at stats and stuff was that um, by homogenizing everyone that's not white, black people were being left behind. So mm-hmm. you look at certain firms where their general BAME stats are um, improving and increasing. Mm. But when you break it down, their black lawyer stats are stagnant. Mm. Mm-hmm. And we felt that by focusing on this term BAME, um, what it was doing was potentially masking what was really happening. Yep. And whilst... I definitely agree that there's space and there's room for BAME initiatives. I do think that you do need to have certain initiatives that really drill down and focus on mm. um, some of the subsectors within that because I just didn't really feel comfortable speaking on behalf of like an Asian woman because I don't I don't really know what they're going through. I don't really know their experiences, their life experiences. Yep. Um, and even within Blacks, like, well, within Black people, Black is not like a monolith. So yep. there's so many different types of Black people. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, that was kind of our focus. And like, we're now at a point, fortunately, where we've managed to like max out this WhatsApp group. We've got a waiting list of like 30 people trying to get in. Wow. We've got um, 700 students um, mm. on our books. Um, we've helped hundreds. Um, in, in, a, in a way, we've helped hundreds of students get training contracts. Mm. A lot of these students, like they... I guess they're kind of um, organization shops. So they don't just come to us. They will go to like a number of different places. Yeah, but, sure. Yeah. yeah, so we've played a part in hundreds of students getting in. Um, How long has this been going on? We started in 2015. Okay. Um, yeah, now we're at a point where we're like literally focusing on just trying to set up long-term partnerships. So um, we met with a law firm this week who are um, interested in um, potentially us setting up our first scheme for them. So nice. like a first year scheme next year, sixth form scheme as well. Yeah. Um, doing another open day with them to build on the one that we did before. So yeah, it's really more focused on, you know, tangible results now and mm. kind of helping to deal with that pipeline issue. Yeah. Because by the time in which a lot of these black students get to the point in which they're applying, yeah. um, a lot of their peers have been getting a lot of help from different places from connects to their parents and stuff. Right. So they're already starting from a disadvantage, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 So is there, do you have anything like a, a newsletter or anything like that yet? Is there, is there, is there plans <coughs> in the pipeline for that? Or? Newsletter. Yeah. Cause I like newsletters, man. Like, I've gotten into <laughs> newsletters recently. So just, yeah. I mean, just curious. Yeah. We don't have a newsletter, but we've got um, different platforms that we're on. So, okay. Outside of WhatsApp, we're on Facebook. Right, right, okay. Yeah. We're on Twitter, yeah. LinkedIn. Okay. Um, hopefully website at some point, but yeah. I mean, 
the thing with it is it needs someone to manage it. Yeah, it? yeah, so, yeah. So at the moment, how many people run run the collective? Is it just you and Rifle? Or? So me and Reva, we run it. We've got a social media manager, um, Vicky. She's amazing. Um, we've got people that kind of um, chip in. Okay. Yeah. When they can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just like other lawyers that have an interest in it as well. As like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the way it's kind of structured, and I probably should have said this is the WhatsApp group. That's all the the lawyers. Right. Right. Like the lawyers. Yeah. Um, trainee lawyers. Mm. Future lawyers. Okay, okay. And then on Facebook and everything else is those that we're looking to assist. Right. Okay. So the next wave of people coming through. Cool, cool. My um, my foster brother is interested in getting into law, so I'll, I'll put him on, man. Cool. Mm. I, I wanted to ask a little bit, actually, about um, the, your artistic side. Because mm. you mentioned when you was in Joburg, um, you know, you were still sort of, you were still very much in the corporate world until mm. you had this, this sounds like, a story from a Bond film or something, like the way that like, you just met at this racetrack with this guy. Yeah, um, yeah. But you showed him, well, at least you, you said that you showed it, showed him your your ideas or your designs. So mm. is this something that you've always had a passion for, like fashion, fashion design? Like talk to us a little bit about that. Like how did that all start? Is it something that's been going on in the background for many years or is it something that's a recent thing? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's always something I've had an, an interest in. Mm. Um, and I'd say there's been certain things and certain um, experiences that have kind of um, taken things either to the next level or like made me like more interested in certain, in that area, if that makes sense. So okay. things like working at Topman in second year of uni. Yeah. Um, things like the me and the tailor and stuff. So mm. yeah, it's always been in the background. Mm. But I didn't really take it seriously. I feel like with a lot of these things, um, there's that whole like imposter syndrome, which I've literally mm-hmm. just got over <laughs> yeah. now. Um, that kind of holds you back. So you think I'm I'm a lawyer, or like I'm training to be a lawyer. Yeah. Like I've got no business. I've got no this. business doing this. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. So how 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 did you get over that? Like, is it just was it just like one day you just woke up and you was like, do you know what? Man, I'm the shit. Like, I'm just gonna do this. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think like at some point you just need to like let those inhibitions and those things that could just shackle you and um, stop you from progressing. Yeah, you just gotta let those things go. Yeah, yeah. Because you're doing it. Like half the time, you're doing things. You're in a space or you're in a position that two years ago, five years ago, you would have loved to have been in. Yeah. So. I think once you start like embracing things, then it makes it more, it makes it makes the possibility of you becoming that thing more, mm. like a bit greater, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So just jump in and just learn just, to yeah, swim just, as just you Just jump do. in, yeah, yeah. Obviously like, yeah. you know, there's certain things that you can't just call yourself like legally. But mm. when it, <laughs> I'm a doctor. <laughs> but when it comes to things like that, where there's no, there's, um, there's no like clear boundaries. Yeah. I wonder if there's going to be a few people listening and thinking like, oh, I'm a designer. Who does he have the right to tell me that, you know, you could just become a designer overnight? But no, I, I like your energy, man. I, f- I feel what you're saying. Yeah, I want to ask you about this, actually, mm. about legal titles and stuff like this. And, um, how do you feel about people... Um, I might be getting you in trouble, but I don't care. Um, mm. How do you feel about people that... <laughs> Come on, top. <laughs> nah, nah, nah. It's not, you know. But you know, like, you often get people that say, oh, I'm... Um, 
I'm CEO and founder of this company. Mm. Um, company's not registered on the company's <laughs> house. They have no idea what a capital structure is. Mm. They couldn't tell you about cash flow. Couldn't tell you about projected revenues. <laughs> God help you. It's God help you them if you ask them about working capital. Um, but they're a CEO um, and co-founder, a majority stakeholder, and top co-owner, mid co-owner. They don't even know. I feel like Thompson is shamed. Tom loves smoking. I'm not. I'm, I'm not saying this spoke to no one because I don't know. I don't know anyone in this position. I pray I don't know anyone in this position. Um, how do you feel about that? Like that kind of everyone saying, oh, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm an entrepreneur, mm. but like, what are you actually doing? Like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> what true, are you man. entrepreneuring? Yeah. True, man. So with, <laughs> yeah, so with those things that aren't like legal um, titles, then if you're doing stuff and you've, you're putting things out there, I feel great, call yourself that. But you can't expect everyone else to see you as that yet, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, with things like CEO, I feel like my legal side stops me from really taking those people seriously. Yeah. So people that call themselves lawyers when they're still students, like, that gets to me because yeah. I'm like, yo, the SRIC this, you're in trouble. Yeah. So, yeah. Solicitor's regulatory authority or something. Yeah, they can put you in a can, that kind of stuff. Mm, exactly. um, I don't have a problem with it, but it's like, yeah. if you're, it's like people, people that started off selling stuff out of boots and stuff who've done really well with their lives. They were hustling, they were moving stuff, but they started off as a wheeler dealer. And then when they finally got their big, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's mm. just, do you know what I mean? It's kind of the, mm. see, I often, I often think, like I talk to a lot of people and they say, I want to be an entrepreneur. Why? Because I don't like work. Um, and so to me, that feels like the wrong answer. The, the answer to me should always feel that it's a purpose-driven thing. Mm. Mm. Even if it's money, because you feel like you can make money in a better way. Yeah. Mm. Um, so that is a purpose in itself for some people. Mm. Um, but some people say, I just don't want to work for the man, right? And that just tells me that the person may, may have authority issues as opposed to actually want to do something. Do you know what I mean? Mm. That's kind of how I feel. I don't know how you feel about that, but you know. I don't know. I feel like it's having authority issues is probably a legitimate reason why you want to start a business. But like you said, you can't just be like, that's that's the be what end all. Like, I have a problem with authority, so I'm going to do... Like, you do need to have... It needs to be purpose-driven, surely. Like, I don't know. What do you think, Aji? Yeah, so I mean, we're, we're kind of learning about this on our course at the moment. So whether there is such thing as an entrepreneurial mindset, because there's certain shared traits that a lot of entrepreneurs seem to have. Um, and that is, you know, largely related to what Tom's talking about. So... Mm issues with control by people and authority and stuff. So I think it's a valid thing to say. I do think it's a valid thing to say. Um, I think there's definitely a spectrum in terms of that authority stuff. So I feel like certain people can suppress any issues that they have with authority and with yeah. control, um, but they still might feel more comfortable mm. being able to run things for themselves. Yep. I feel mm. like I fall into that camp. So when I'm working for someone, like... I leave my ego at the door. Like, I know that I can lead things because I've done that before. But mm. if I'm working for someone, if I'm building someone else's thing, then that's what my focus will be. Yeah. Mm. Okay. When you, um, and because I guess the conversation, a lot of people mentioned being purpose-driven as far as entrepreneurism is concerned, right? Mm. And when you introduced yourself, you mentioned that you're a social entrepreneur specifically. Mm. Um, and I was just curious 
to hear what that means to you and why um, social entrepreneurship is kind of the the direction that you went as opposed to just the more conventional, I run a business, whatever the case is. Yeah, so I think social entrepreneur for me is a title I chose because anything that I do, I want to make sure there's some sort of social impact or impact for the culture, for the community. Mm-hmm. So it's not just... Um, kind of doing well, but also like doing good if I can. That's yeah. the way I kind of see it. I, I mean, so whether it's, you know, even law, like the law stuff I'm doing now, yeah. the contracts, I'm doing them for like startups and creatives, like that spoke to me more. And I mean, Tom might disagree, but I didn't really feel um, fulfilled working for corporates, mm. if that makes sense. Maybe if I was, um, you know, partner at that point, I might have felt a bit different because I'm working more directly with the client and stuff. But yeah. When you're a very small cog and a very big wheel, you don't really feel like you're making a difference. Mm-hmm. And I had all these people coming to me for like legal um, advice and assistance who I couldn't help. Um, and, and is that because of time or like? No, like, I mean, because when you're working for big corporates, they're not going to really be interested in, you know, like those small like startups. Oh, I see. So they, they approached you with a view to like getting your company involved. Like yeah, that. yeah. Like okay. I would just, I'd have to shut it down because... Yeah. You know, like big, big Ashurst, they can't take on someone that's got like 500 pound budget. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Money yeah. long enough. Exactly. So pro bono though? That's the thing. So like I was doing it a lot of it pro bono, but then you're you're balancing that with your actual job as I'm well. Trying to get mm-hmm. your minimal hours in and exactly, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And um pro bono is it's important for most firms. Most firms do encourage it, but mm. they do make it clear that billable work will always come first. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So let me just get something straight with pro bono work. How does it how do, how does it actually function? Are you is it monitored by your your employer? Like they they and they encourage you to do to to take on pro bono work. So yeah, it depends. So normally a lot of these firms will have their own pro bono schemes. Yeah. Okay. So they will be the things that are preferred. Mm. Um, if outside of that, there's people that you want to give, you know, advice to. Yeah. Um, I would encourage people listening to that to like not call it pro bono because mm. they're not your clients. Right. You see what I mean? So yeah. if these people aren't onboarded as clients in the legal sense, mm. then any kind of advice you give them has to be very generic. It's not supposed to be tailored to whatever they're doing. Mm. Right. Okay. Whereas now, because I'm consulting, um, I work directly with this um, law firm that specializes in startups and creatives. Mm. So that way I'm able to like benefit from their insurance and their research platforms. Yeah. Mm. Um, and they kind of get onboarded through this law firm. Yeah. Mm. And then I can then assist through them. Okay. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So I no, 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 go on, bro. no I I wanted to um ask a bit more about fashion and yeah. what you <clears throat> feel is the future in brackets ethical um sort of trajectory of fashion. Like I know I've seen in your Instagram post as well that you're you're actually um a quite outspoken person against um fast fashion. Mm. Um, and I and I found that quite interesting because um, Can we just explain like what fast fashion is? I have a sense okay. I know what it is, but is it comparable to like fast food at McDonald's? It's just trash. Uh, not not quite. Is that, actually, you can mass- yeah. yeah, not necessarily. I think I think, and I'm going to be quite careful with my words here because I think fast fashion is for for a lot of people and it is for the mass markets. I think me saying things like fuck fast fashion. That's not me saying that you should 
have to take that approach. That's just my own personal yeah. mm-hmm. opinion. Do you mm-hmm. see what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I'm not advocating for everyone to start thinking yeah. like that. I'm just saying this is my That's your take of it. So does yeah. fast fashion refer to kind of like the... Um, like H&M. Like the high the street. Model, high that kind street, of yeah. model. Mm-hmm. So I, and what, and what produce, characterizes yeah. fast fashion just for people that don't... Is it inventory like, turnover? Pretty, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say pretty much inventory, inventory turnover, but also like just kind of... Um, I guess like the not necessarily focusing on the quality they they see a trend and like the way yeah. in which they mm. bring it about isn't necessarily done in the most yeah. sustainable or ethical way. Mm. Yeah, the most the, the focus is just getting whatever it is out there. Yeah. So, mm. Mm. like I said, the quality suffers. Mm-hmm. Like there'll be times I've get I've got things from Boohoo and I've been like, like um, I've just been shocked at the quality. Mm. Um, People love that though. Exactly. Their like, stocks gone up. <laughs> Their stocks gone exactly, up. Exactly. Mm. People, people love that. And I, mm. I mean, I'm not ever going to, you know, vilify anyone for that. Do mm. you know what I mean? I'm just saying for me personally, I think mm. I just want to kind of open people's minds to the fact that there's other ways of doing it. I think yeah. mm. when a lot of people think of like sustainable, they only think of recyclable materials. Yeah. Mm. Um, made out of hemp and stuff like exactly that. Yeah. yeah there's the whole like sustainability for me and this is something that me and my my partner Ruth in MIA um, we, we speak about it's about to us it's more about you know focusing on luxury slash durability so things that mm-hmm. are more like lo- longer lasting yeah. you know what I mean so that doesn't necessarily translate into higher price like you can go to vintage stores a lot of people don't know that mm. you can go to vintage stores and get things of high quality a lot of people don't know that mm. you can go to brick lane market and get very very high quality things mm. for very very cheap yeah do you see what i mean I, so i guess the challenge is always like it takes a bit longer and i guess that's the allure of fast fashion right exactly when you walk into h&m your, your outfit's sort of basically in front yeah. of you and you, yeah. you know what you're getting with with sort of thrift shopping and stuff like that, it's, it's an investment. Yeah, you exactly. Have to, you have to invest time, time and yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that's that's the thing as well. I think it's also the the knowledge that you need to have access to is so like fleeting. Do yeah. you know what I mean like people don't really have access to the knowledge? Yeah. So all I'm doing things like today when I walk past this huge sign about this. Um, Vintage hall that's happening in Brick Lane. Yeah, I saw that. Thanks for yeah. that on actually. That's what I mean. Like, I'm going to the next one. People don't know what's <laughs> happening. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So what was the event? Just so the listeners know. So I didn't even know what's happening. I've not even been to it. I just, <laughs> I just happened to be in Brick Lane. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, I saw. It, it, I was like, it's okay. like a vintage show that happens like once a month, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. 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 So yeah. things like that, people don't necessarily know about it. Yeah, yeah. So they're not going to act on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So with um, with MIA, mm. obviously, you know your passionate about bringing good quality um, tailoring to the masses mm. and sort of connecting, you know, um, top tailors um, in the African continent. Is it just in South Africa at the moment or you've got tailors from other countries? Yeah, so Zambia. Okay. Um, but with the Zambian tailor, we kind of work with her Yeah. Um, generally when we're doing collections. Sure. Okay. So not... So more main, Yeah, mainly, yeah, more bespoke, more right. when we're doing like the collections. So things like when we do New York in September. Come on. Yeah. When we do New York. When um, you say when we do New York, you mean Fashion Week? Yeah, New York. Let them know. Fashion for fashion. Hey, yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. What I was going to ask though was you have obviously this passion of when it comes to like quality, tailoring, and whatever else. But is there also this passion behind it that 
that you want to kind of change the narrative. Um, the narrative when it comes to 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 fashion in brackets fast fashion. Yeah, like yeah. You, you yeah. want to change your culture, I guess. Breaking of, the rules and changing the game. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah, I think if I had to pick between the things that I'm the most passionate about, mm. it's more African fashion. Yeah, okay. Mm. And the perception of that. Yeah. And so how, what, what is the perception of that at the moment, do you think? And what needs to change? I think the perception to a lot of people is not just restricted to fashion, but they think of Africa, they don't necessarily think of quality. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's mm. the thing. I think to the enlightened ones, to those of us in this room, mm-hmm. like we know, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. dapper chocolates, quality. Do you know what I mean? Jeez. <laughs> 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 that was true. massive. I didn't even expect it. I just want to say something about Let me just brush my soda real quick. Obviously, I've... I bought I bought a couple of packs, right? And I was having some in my room while I was doing a bit of work. What's this dapper chocolate? Yeah, dapper chocolates, okay. yeah. I bought the I bought basically all three versions. Yeah, yeah. The, the Mienza collection. Then done those. www.dabbachocolates.co.uk <laughs> I need to get a re-up. It's not time actually. to plug it just yet. <laughs> I need to get a re-up actually. Yeah, I just thought. Yeah. Anyway, so I was having some. Now, my mum came in the room and said, oh, how are you, how are you, son? I said, oh, do you want to try some chocolate? She doesn't really have chocolate. I said, look. You know, this is proper, like, this is mint, right? I said, just just try some, innit? So, what do you mean? I said, just try it, innit? She's like, mmm, this is what, good. Wait, <laughs> mint as in it was mint flavor? Quality. Oh, no, no, quality. quality. Yeah, I thought so. I just wanted to, come just on. wanted to double check. It's on the diet, man. Yeah. No, no, that's not. <laughs> Sorry. And then, Pucker stuff, innit? Mmm, what's this? I said, yeah, this is legit. Said, what's it called? I said, Dapa chocolates. I said, ah, Dapa. Ah, <laughs> oh, we had yeah. So, oh. <laughs> quite cool. Tell him, we had yeah. Tell him. That's what you can hey, say. Shout out your mom, man. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, so, Aji, sorry, you the were quality saying, in Africa. Is yeah. Quality, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so for for us, you're saying that you know we obviously acknowledge that there's there's quality in African tailoring, and 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 at the moment, you still feel that Africa isn't getting its 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 dues when it comes to when it comes to fashion. Yeah, I'd say so. I think. Mm. I think that's the part of the reason why we've decided to go down the the route that we have, mm. where it's not necessarily just Ankara or the things that you would mm. traditionally associate with. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. We can do that as well, yeah. but we can do more like global so stuff as well. So it's mm. more than just like the sort of the traditional prints and... Exactly, okay. exactly. So when people think, okay, I need to get a suit for my wedding, um, and it's right. not necessarily an African wedding, they go to us because... Right. It's a suit and it's a quality suit. Okay, okay, mm-hmm. okay. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you, I just carrying on with the fashion thing, and because you mentioned Fashion Week, how do you think, like, the kind of, um, what do you think the opinion or view is towards Africa from, like, the couture houses, like the Dior's and wherever mm. else in this world? How, how do you think the, the, the yeah, what, what's their, their viewing on it, if you have seen? Because obviously you're probably floating around some of these circles. So, mm. yeah, what do you think their take is on, on that? Yeah, so I think this is where branding is really, really important. And we're now at a point where we're, we're like trying to focus more on infiltrating that, that proper luxury market. Okay. So we're like, we're, we're more comfortable now with um, not necessarily everyone being able to afford our stuff because, yeah. you know, if you aren't going to be in mass market, then not everyone's going to afford your stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I mean? So you need to, you need to pick a side. Mm. And we've kind of, Pick the side that will allow us to focus on quality over everything. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'd say like for someone like us that who who has who have focused on quality and focused on putting the brand out in a certain way, um, and a brand that has been perceived in a certain light because of those decisions, mm. 
I feel like we are still, we're still, you know, perceived in a positive way. Mm. But I do know that sometimes when, you know, people cut corners on the quality, even of the quality of the content they put out there, mm. then that just perpetuates this image of them as being lesser than. Mm. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And then, <coughs> I guess I just want to, um, yeah, move it on a, uh, just just a little bit now. I mean, you're in in um, you're in ju- the judge business school right now, and you're learning about entrepreneurship and like what are, what are some of the stuff that you're learning about and how is it helping you with what you're doing in, in terms of MIA and, and legal stuff? Mm. And actually, you I know what you do for the legal stuff, but just briefly mention like what you also do for the legal stuff as well, just like briefly say. The thing is, what I want to know is that can you actually really teach entrepreneurship? Is that something that can be mm. quantified and passed on? That's my question. Yeah, okay. So I'll tackle both of these questions. I think, starting with yours, mm. I think... Entrepreneurship in the way that it's taught at the business school mm. and the way that it's taught at places like Cass Business School yeah. is the way to go, in my opinion, okay. which is making it very practical focused. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so what I mean by that is we've got like pitch competitions and pitch opportunities right. as part of the course. Mm-hmm. People are running businesses whilst doing the course. Right, okay. Um, 55% of the people on the course had a startup before they came in that was yeah. already doing very well. Right. So the focus for them... And the way that the course leaders measure success is not only you get your masters, yeah. but you've also scaled your business. Right. Mm. Yeah. So I think that's the focus that has to be taken. And, and the course leaders, they, they themselves are successful entrepreneurs. Are they? Are they? Are they running businesses as they as they lead the course as well? Yeah. So it's a mixture. I think everyone there mm. um, is both academic and practical. Mm. Mm. So. Our new course leader, um, because it actually changed um, midway through, um, our new course leader, he, he's been an academic for like 10 years, but he played a huge part in, um, you know, working on like the more technical side of certain startups that have done very well in like America. I think mm. he had some VC experience as well. Yeah. Yeah. So he's not just kind of coming from a pure theoretical perspective. He's also able to understand what these startup founders may have maybe going through. Mm. Um, so I think that's the way to kind of approach it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and to go back to your question, so working backwards, so on the law side of things, um, so your question was, what legal stuff am I doing? Yeah. Yeah, so I'd say like my um, specialism, as in the thing I do, the contract I do the most is probably shareholders agreements. Yep. So I probably look at one of them every two weeks. Um, because for startups, I guess the, the benefit for me or like the, as part of the trade-off between, you know, um, not working for corporates um, is, is that startups require less. Yeah. As in they're not looking for as much as corporates are looking for. So yeah. they just want to know, are there any red flags? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, can I sign this? Essentially. Mm-hmm. So even though obviously the fees are less. Yeah. They want less. They're expecting less. Yeah. Okay. So yes, um, shareholders agreements, things like articles of association, mm. very very high level IP. But yeah. I'm not a specialist, and I know specialists, so I can refer people yeah, right. to them. Okay. Um, so yeah, they're like the main things. More like being able to understand the holistic structure, setting up companies. Mm. But then in terms of actual focus, yeah. 
it's mainly, okay, you've got investment coming in. Mm. Um, how can you structure yourself in such a way to prepare for that investment? Right. I, I, want, I wanted to ask um, about sort of like the scale of um, people that approach you um, for sort of um, legal advice and mm. legal help. I mean, I feel like there is an incredible boom at the moment of startups. A lot of them are tech startups. Mm. Um, so is that true? Like from your experience, like are you are you seeing a lot more people? Or are, you, are you seeing a lot of people in general now sort of thinking, I'm going to go out and do this on my own and I'm going to launch a startup? That and also, what do we define as a startup nowadays? Like is any business, it seems like any business now kind of has to be a startup. Like yeah, I feel when, like we've gone- It's true. When does a startup stop being a startup? I think that's a slightly different question. I think I feel like I can like I've the business that I'm in now, like I've seen it sort of go from startup phase to we're actually a corp not it's quite a corporate business, company, yeah. but yeah. like a SME or whatever. I would yeah, I would say like a medium <clears throat> sized business to mm. be fair. But yeah, like the startup world, man, talk to us yeah. about it. Like so I'd say SMEs and startups are two separate mm. tracks. Okay. So SMEs are more focused on kind of long term sustainable growth. Right. Whereas startups are more predicated on explosive high growth. potential. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. High potential, yeah. And realizing that potential as quickly as possible. Right, okay. okay. Um, so with SME, so like my my mum's family business, which we just sold, like that was a private healthcare business. Yeah. That was, you know, just running. Do you know what I mean? We had no intention of making it a startup. Right. Um, but it was but enough. They, they get high multiples though. Yeah, Healthcare gets higher multiple, bro. Yeah, it was it was all right, but gets my mom was higher, like, gets higher multiple than tech, bro. My mom was just living off that basically, yeah, so like yeah. that's what she was doing for right. time for like four years. Okay, but it wasn't ever an intention to like make it a start. But it was okay, yeah. gonna run this thing. Yeah, it's more of like a lifestyle business. Right. Yeah. So why sense. why are so many people flocking then to the the startup structure? Is it like do you feel like a lot of people just like just want to make money quick? Because I see like a lot of startups now, they they don't even sort of think about sustainability and, mm. and the long term it's like how can we get this business um, to be as valuable as possible by making it look as good as possible and selling it and then when you inherit the business or when you buy the business yeah. you're like Cashed wow out, yeah. like we're not making money like I mm. see a lot of startups actually don't they're getting a lot of investment like VCs tech, are tech startups chucking money at them the thing mm. about tech startups is typically like tech startups are ludicrously difficult to, to like value yeah. right mm -hmm. so like a normal company that you'd look at right you 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 try and value something called enterprise value. Mm -hmm. Normal way, which yeah. is your market cap, which is like if, if they're a listed public company, the share value mm -hmm. plus the net debt that they have, which is, you know, debt minus cash. And basically yeah. that's your enterprise value. And you do enterprise value over uh, EV EBITDA. So EV, enterprise value divided by your EBITDA. Typical way of doing it. Do you want to break down EBITDA? Just because... Earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. So I just nodded what's... like I knew what he was talking about. Sorry, what's Sorry. amortization? All right, so DNA... <laughs> face off now. No, no, no. D so this is a good question. So, like, um, we'll, go, we'll go through income statements. So, obviously, the top is sales. Then you have your COGS, cost of goods sold. Uh, that gets to, to your gross margin. Then you have other kind of elements of... So, you'll have, like, research and development. You'd have other stuff like kind of weird staff expenses and stuff like that. You take all of that, that gets you to your operating profit, otherwise known as your EBIT, your earnings before interest um, and tax. And then in that kind of the P&L, there's an element called depreciation amortization. So if I buy assets, right, I assume that they depreciate over time, right? Mm -hmm. So if I, I buy a printer, I have to assume that at some point it's going to break down. So I write that down. Um, if I have an intangible asset, so... 
Dapper Chocolates has an intangible value. The name itself. The brand, yeah. MIA has an intangible value, mm. right? But um, <clears throat> sometimes you can write down the value or if, let's say, one of you two, uh, one of you two were to actually buy each other's companies or something, right? You can actually sometimes write down some of the value of the 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 intangible assets. So you can actually, if you, if MIA were to buy Dapper, you can actually say, do you know what? Because I've bought it and I've paid this much on top for it, I actually don't think the intangible value of Dapper is worth that much. That's called amortization. That's basically what it is. Mm. So depreciation is a physical thing. Amortization is kind of a less physical thing, but right. you can argue it out. So that's your EBITDA, earnings before interest tax, uh, depreciation, amortization. Now, but with tech companies, can't value it that way. Mm. So they do it on like a revenue basis. Like they do it on like yeah. a price per revenue basis. Yeah. Mm. The understanding is that tech tech companies, it will take such a long time before they make any form of profit. This is what I mean. And this so mean. it's just, but the, the way it is, is like you look at these big companies like a Microsoft, an Apple, uh, SAP, SAP, or even kind of like Fujitsu, Oracle, these guys, mm. these guys are already making lots of money. Yeah. Right. You buy a startup that does a tiny niche that say SAP, Microsoft, Oracle doesn't do, yeah. they don't care if it's loss-making. They will buy They it. care that they just oh, yeah. add it on yeah, and, and it, it makes more money for them. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, That's yeah. kind of what happens but a I lot feel, of the time, I, and, so. and I feel like a lot of um, founders, that's <laughs> kind of in, that. Like, that's what they want to do. Like they just want to start something yeah. and sell it for, you know, a few million, you know, 20 million. Yeah. You know? I mean, I, I'd, I'd agree with that to a certain extent. I think, I think there's definitely, um, that's definitely one reason why people start. I think the other main reason mm. is it's the whole rich versus king dilemma. So uh, they, they say that when you start a company or you start a startup, you have to decide which of these two reasons you're doing it for. Mm. Do you want to be rich or do you want to be a king? So it's very rare that you get people in like Mark Zuckerberg's position where they're both. Mm. Do you see what I mean? So yeah. it's smart to go in with an exit plan if yeah. that's what you want to do. If you want to just maximize the value mm. and realize that value as quickly as possible. Yeah. Does that make sense? But do you feel like, though, that, you know, with, with things like this, eventually I feel like the bubble will burst. And because so many people are doing it, and I guess, you know, a lot of people are just doing it to like sort of get rich quick. Do you feel like there is a kind of a negative association with calling your company a startup? Because at the moment, I don't think there is. I, feel, I still feel like startups, <coughs> as someone that works in like yeah. Silicon Roundabout, and like I, d I don't find the idea of startups that sexy anymore. But I still mm. feel like say startup, it's like ooh, what's a startup? Like ooh, ooh. do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it still has that allure. I like, personally do, do, think that startups aren't attractive unless you get some kind of equity. Mm -hmm. If you're if you're not a, if you're not like coming in as a co-founder creator, Bruh. startup cannot be attractive until you get some kind of equity, bro. To yes. keep you to stay. I, I don't. I, if you speak, you are in trouble. But uh, like, that's the thing. That's the, like, honestly, because I, I worked at a startup, like briefly, before I kind of went back into research and I was like, okay, I'm doing this grafting like a MF. I'm like trying to work so hard. And I'm like, hold on. So these guys have exit plan. They've got capital structure sorted out, but I have no equity in this business. Raw. And I was like, I was like the one of the first employee into that business. I was yeah, like, wow, yeah, man's not getting nothing here, blood. And the thing is, I'm not asking for like, I haven't bought any IP, so I can't say, cut me a big check, like cut me a quarter of the, because that, that, that's, that can be greedy. But one thing they will say is that, you know, this is a startup. So, you know, if you have to work weekends or you have to work, you know, or, you know, salary's a bit low because obviously it's a startup. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like there's yeah, all yeah, these yeah. like, these... no, I'm not, I'm, I'm not hating on that, but I, I often think that. I know, but it's like those yeah. things, 
you'd you'd at least expect yeah. some sort of compensation. Ah, because yeah. if you're if you're I have to think <laughs> if you're you know as a startup, mm. right? Especially like the tech startup, yeah. there's a high chance of failure. Mm-hmm. That's not gonna blow that. You, the idea isn't going to be caught up. You're not going to get Y Combinator. You know, there are loads of things that can go wrong. Yeah. So, and it's like, how are you actually getting compensated for that? What's keeping you around to stay? Yeah, and it's like, man, that's, that's, if you're not getting... free coffee. If you're not getting <laughs> equity, yeah? It's mm. like, you know, it's you know what I'm saying? Like, that's, yeah. that's the thing about, I think what startups often get wrong. And I'm not talking about like the kind of, the model like a delivery or even like an Uber Lyft where they've, they've basically done so many rounds of funding. You can't expect to get you can actually still expect to get equity, but it's been diluted at that point. But imagine you join a company at inception, yeah? You're employee number one after the founders. Like, you were an employee mm. and they're not giving you a cut. Yeah, you know how rude that can be? But sometimes people don't want that. Sometimes people, they're willing to work for a startup at that stage, but they're not willing to work just for equity. Or they want to see immediate remuneration to main, maybe like maintain their lifestyle or they want to see like a mixture. And yeah. the founders themselves, they're like, okay, we've put this amount of money in so we're the ones that deserve to you know have the equity if that makes sense Mm -hmm. for me personally and you know I've learned this in the course so I'm sharing this knowledge with people they said to us like offer skin in the game that's how you get people to be incentivized at the early stages Mm -hmm. so um, with MIA um, we're actually starting a new thing so that's kind of why I'm on the course so MIA London like that's the clothing brand that's something that I see as like um very much like a long-term thing that I'd love to be doing when I'm like 50, 60 still. Yeah. Mm. But it's definitely more of a slow kind of burner. Like at yeah. any point it can like take off, but yeah. you can't really force things. Yeah. yeah. With um, what we're starting, which is MIA Marketplace, I can't really talk too much about it yet. I think the name gives it away, but... I can't say what, what kind of marketplace it is. <laughs> well, it's, not, it's not clothing, it's not clothing. Okay. But yeah, that's a tech, um, tech-based company, cool. which is under the same umbrella. Yeah. But it's a separate company. Jeez, mm. man, this, this guy's making I'm liking the sound much. of it, man. I like yeah. this as well. Like, man's even got holding structure there as ready and all that as well. So I like that one. But. Yeah, so with that one, like, there's nine people on the team. And with that, it's everyone is working on equity. Yeah. Right? Because they believe in the vision. They believe yeah. in what we're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... If they didn't, then they wouldn't do it for equity. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, That's dope, man. Remember what I always say from young Nipsey Hustle. What do I say? <laughs> own your masters. Own your own masters, yeah, man. Own your own masters. Nah, it's true, man. Get it's your equity if you can, man. That's it. Yeah. Because in corporate, at least they're paying you decent dollar, innit? Like, exactly. you know, yeah. well, obviously, right. it depends, but they can pay you decent dollar, innit? And yeah. there's no expect. But even, even public companies, like a lot of remuneration actually comes in the form of share, like it comes in, come in the form of shares. Mm, so mm. you are actually incentivized to do well. So yeah, you hold yeah. your stock and all yeah. that for a lot mm. of people. But yeah, man, um, we have to, <coughs> sorry, we have to wrap it up now, man. So well, it's been a good chat, man. Like 100%, man. I, this just all of this just makes me so happy, man. Like all these black entrepreneurs just doing bits and right. it's just proper inspiring, man. Yeah. It's proper inspiring. I am. Um, yeah, just add you, man. Just keep doing what you're doing. My like, blood. I'm quietly just following all your little footsteps, man. Just no, man, I'm following you guys. Trying to be like you, fam. Standard black boy compliment, right there. <laughs> trying to be like you, fam. <laughs> no, but for real, it's been a pleasure, man. Adji, thank you so no, much for coming. Please plug, plug, plug yeah, away. away. Yes, yeah, plug it away. Um, me, I'm Adji Ayorande on all socials. So A J I A Y O R I N D E on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, then MIA, you got MIA XLDN on everything. So Twitter, 
Instagram. LinkedIn? No, yeah, Twitter and Instagram. And Facebook as well for that one. Um, Law Collective, Collective Law on Twitter. <coughs> Facebook, if you are a student for the Law Collective, search TLCTC. LinkedIn, search the Law Collective. And I think that's it. That's it, man. Sick, man. Sick, man. It's been a wonderful, wonderful episode. Um, yeah. Uh, if you enjoyed this, let us know. Normal channels, ladies and gents, boys and girls. Um, OTB Podcast UK uh, on Twitter. Uh, OTB Podcast UK at gmail.com. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't do this introduction. <laughs> <ending> <laughs> this yeah, I'm kind of new to this. But uh, yeah, man. And Instagram as well. And Instagram as well. We need to, we need to do, actually, put on a few more photos. Actually, let's take a photo today, man. Because we've yeah, been we slacking. We've been slacking. We'll get a photo at Aji, man. Yeah, man. But Aji, thank you so much for, for coming um, to talk to us, man. And yeah, over and out. See you later, guys.